Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. This is Saul Weinreb, the host, your host for this podcast. We are currently studying the second book of Kings, Moachim Bet. <coughs> we are at chapter 23, that is Perak Chaf Gimel. And we are about to read the um, verse 21. Uh, we are reading of Yoshiyahu Josiah and his religious reform. He heard the Sefer Torah that was found um, hidden in the Beit HaMikdash in the temple that was discovered and read to him, which caused him to completely repent of his idolatrous ways and the ways of his father and grandfather, (coughs) Ammon and Menashe, because he read in the Torah that if they continued an idolatrous path, that the people would suffer their God's wrath. But if they returned to God, then God would help them and God would save them. As we know from tradition, uh, and and as we'll see indicated in the verses to come that we're studying together today, Yoshiyahu had a, a somewhat of a primitive understanding. As, as great of a person he was, and as earnest and as incredible his efforts were to try to bring the people back to the right path, he was a little bit naive in that he thought of the, um, if I can just do this from the top down, you know, enforce a destruction and a removal of all idols and so on, and, and encourage the people to uh, participate in the um, worship and, and uh, service of God only, then we could turn everything around and we could make everything better. Uh, and as we know from the, in the, the Gemara, the Chazal teaches a story about how when uh, Yoshiao would send his, his people uh, to people's homes and to, their, and to their places of gathering to check to make sure that the idols were removed, the people would have the images of the idols painted on the back of their doors, which were double doors, so that when they opened the doors and the, and the king's men looked inside, they didn't see any idols because they were behind the doors. And even if they did see one of the doors, they only saw half an image, which didn't look like an idol. But then when they left, the doors would close and the image would appear. So that people, um, the idea of this is not so much, uh, you know, where people painted their idols in those days, but it was the idea and the understanding that this was insufficient. It was so deeply ingrained. This way of life was so deeply ingrained among the people that as incredible and as wonderful and as all-encompassing this effort of Yoshiao, Josiah was to eliminate idol worship, it had to be sustained for a long period of time, <coughs> which it wasn't, unfortunately. And the people really had to turn around their ways, their ways of thinking, their ways of relating to God. <coughs> and this is what um, didn't happen. Um, we'll see, uh, you know, soon, but in verse 21, let's read it now, which we're up to, and the king commanded the whole nation. You get this image, the king is commanding the nation, <coughs> make a, a celebration of the Passover holiday 
for and the Passover sacrifice for the Lord your God. As it is written in this Sefer Torah, in this Book of the Covenant. There hadn't been made a great, incredible celebration of Passover like this. Going back all the way back to the days of the judges, that judges judged the people, in other words, before even the days of King David. And all of the days of the kings of Israel, and the kings of Judah, Yoshiahu put on the most incredible Passover celebration, which is wonderful. However, Kiim only in the Abishmon Asrei Shana in the 18th year, Lamalach Yoshiyahu, Nasa Pesach Hazel Adonai B'Yishalayim. This incredible Passover celebration was made and Passover sacrifices was offered to God in Jerusalem. So it took 18 years of Yoshiyahu's reign for the people to be encouraged to and participate in such an incredible celebration, which is wonderful, which is beautiful. But it's only a tiny step to really change the people. If you remember at the same time, if we read the book of Jeremiah, going through the streets of Jerusalem, telling the people how this kind of re- these kinds of reforms need to permeate everyone's being. They need to permeate the way you think, the way you act, and go in the ways of God and do the commandments of God and treat each other in the way that God wants people to treat each other. This is the revolution that needed to take place to turn God's wrath around truly. And uh, what, what Yeshua had only accomplished was a, was a surface, which is good, but it's not enough. And he went and he destroyed all of the the um, necromancers and the and the mediums, the the, go, the ghost interpreters, Trafim and the uh, Oh, the idols that 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 talk to the um, and the fetishes and all of the de- disgusting things that had appeared in the land of Judah of Yerushalayim and <coughs> in Jerusalem destroyed them in order to um, um, Fulfill all of the words of the Torah that were written in the scroll Asher that Chilkiyahu, the priest, had found in God's house. <coughs> there was no king like him. There was no king ever that preceded him that returned to God. In other words, because in Yoshiahu's first years, he wasn't. He hadn't, you know, it took up to the 16th year of his life before the Sefer Torah was found of his kingdom, before, on the 18th year, before he celebrated this Passover, that that he turned back to God. So he was, um, he's being commended here for, for being uh, the one who demonstrated such an incredible amount of tshuva, of repentance. And no one else after him was repented and turned back to God. So this is ev- this is testimony to his his honesty, to his um, to his um, deep seated, uh, earnest, uh, and well meaning return to God uh, that was that was thorough and 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 true to his soul, and and his attempt to bring the people back to God. Ah, however, God did not. Turn back from his tremendous amount of anger, Asher Charabi Apo because he was angry at Judah. See, this is the the key words here. Yoshiahu, the king, repented and turned back to God, 
But God's anger at Judah, the people of Judah, I'll call Hakaasim because of all of the angers Asher Chiso Menashe that Menashe had brought into play. That, that brought anger. In other words, the preceding Menashe was Chizkiyahu that brought the people back to God. And then Menashe, going 70 years prior to this event, Menashe, if you add up Menashe's years in, as king, I think it was 52 or 50, uh, and then a couple years of Ammon, and then six, 18 years of Yishayahu, you're talking 70 years ago when Menashe turned the people away from God. That anger that God had against Judah was not turned away. Vayomer Adonai, and God said, Gam es Yehuda asir me'alponai, I am going to remove Judah also from before me. I'm going to exile them, kasher asirosi et Yisrael, just like I exiled and got rid of the people of Israel, of the northern kingdom, umo'asti et azos, I am going to reject this city, Asher Bocharti, <coughs> the city that I chose at Yerushalayim, the city of Jerusalem, Betabayat, and the temple, Asher Amarti, that I said, Yesh Misham, that my name shall reside there. Vyeser Divri Yoshiyahu, and all the other things that Yoshiyahu did, you know, there's plenty of history that he did during his kingdom. Bechol Asher Asa, and all the things he did in Elohim Ksuvim, Sefer Divri Yomim if you want to read about them, feel free to get the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah and can read about them there. How did Yoshio's career come to an end? <coughs> so, <clears throat> just a little background. At this time, uh, the reason why uh, Menashe, Ammon, and Yoshio had had pe relative peace from the Assyrian Empire was because Assyria and Babylon were busy duking it out uh, between each other. Um, and Babylon had... Uh, conquered and subdued Assyria and um, Assyria had signed an alliance with Egypt to try to save itself so Egypt was allied with them and the king of Egypt uh, was marching up to Carchemish um, uh, which uh, to in order to get to reach there he needs to march through the land of Israel in order to um, join up with the remaining Assyrian forces in an attempt to salvage the Assyrian Empire against the Babylonians. Now, this famous Battle of Carchemish is well documented in historical sources, especially in the Assyrian sources and in the Babylonian sources. It was a very important turning point in the history of civilization when, um, when the Babylonians... Uh, uh, conquered and destroyed the remaining Assyrian forces and the forces of, of, the, of, of Egypt together, thus cementing their role as the next major empire of the Middle East that took over after the Assyrian Empire was, was subdued. <coughs> so um, eventually the Babylonian Empire then turned its sights on spreading its own wings and, and um, eventually conquered Judah and other lands in the area to increase their own power and might and influence. But this Battle of Carchemish was, was not happened yet. And Biyamav, uh, in the days of Yoshiyahu, Allah Pharaoh Necho Melech Mitzrayim, the Pharaoh Necho, or Nico, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, came up al Melech Ashur, al Nahar Paras, came. Uh, El Melech Ashur, um, he came. His it sounds like it means against uh, the king of Assyria, but we know from history that he was actually joining the king of Assyria, Al Nahar Puras, on the Euphrates River. <coughs> and he 
And the king Yoshiahu went to attack Paro. <coughs> the king uh, um, uh, went to uh, stop Paro. And we know from other sources, from Divriyamim and Chronicles, and that, that Yoshiahu uh, was advised not to attack Paro and to allow him to pass through the land. For whatever reason, and the Talmud discusses this, but it's unclear, at least from these verses, why Yoshiahu didn't just let Paro go through. But one of the thing, one thing is clear in that Yoshiao way overestimated his strength. Egypt was one of the mightiest powers of the time. Yoshiao was not; he was the king of a much smaller kingdom, and this was a war that was not a necessary war. It didn't have to be fought to save the people of Judah, like Chizkiyo had to fight against the Assyrians. But here, Yoshiao did not have to do this. So he was way overconfident. And most understand this as an overconfidence that came from his idea that because he's faithful to God now, God will be with him in his wars and his battles, and therefore he went to fight Paro. However, in a battle at Megiddo, uh, Paro killed him, Kiroso, so as soon as he identified the king among the troop Judean soldiers that came out to, to attack the Egyptian soldiers, the, uh, they identified the king and killed him. And his servants took him, his body, dead from Megiddo, and they brought him to Jerusalem. And they buried him in his burial place. And the people of the land <coughs> took. Now remember, before we had the Amhaaretz, after um, uh, uh, um, that put, uh, um, uh, that, that, put the king in charge after the assassination after the assassination of Ammon right Yoshiahu's father we said there that the Amhaaretz took Yoshiahu and put him on the throne Amhaaretz gives us the uh, image of the people being the ones making the king which when they brought Yoshiao to the king, it was seemed to be a good thing because the conspirators had killed Ammon, presumably in order to take power themselves, as had happened uh, only a couple generations ago in the kingdom of Israel, where everybody kind kept on assassinating the king, making themselves king, and then they get assassinated, and then the assassin becomes the king, and so on and so forth. But the Amhaaretz, in order to retain and maintain the stability of the Davidic monarchy, didn't allow that to happen. They stood up and they got rid of the, assass the assassins and the conspirators and placed Yoshiahu rightfully on the throne. Over here, the Amoretz takes Yehoahaz ben Yoshiahu, Vayim Shechu Oso, and they anoint him, Vayim Licho Oso Aviv. Now, why is it that the Amoretz are taking Yehoahaz? He's the rightful heir. So, tradition has it. Uh, and the Talmud brings this up, and, and you'll, as we'll see later, Yehoahaz was not the eldest son, right? We will see soon that um, that Yehoahaz, his brother Yehoiakim was older and had the more rightful claim to the crown. For some reason, the people decided to make Yehoahaz the king, and that's why it says here, Vayikach Amoretz. So you're starting to get the sense of the instability of a kingdom that's beginning to crack, you know, where the people are placing the king that's not supposed to be there. Why they did that is unclear. One can speculate, 
But for whatever reason, the people wanted Yehoahaz, not his brother Yehoiakim, <coughs> who's going to come into the picture later. So now, this brings us to the end of the tragic, very tragic career of the last great righteous king of Judah, that's Yoshiahu, a shining light that kind of shines bright near the end when almost everything else is darkness. We've seen, um, uh, you know, Yehuda descend from the great days of David and Solomon, eventually split after Solomon. We've seen king after king lead the people farther down into the path of destruction. We've seen in Judah, at least, every once in a while, a king would arise who, who kind of rescued things, who, you know, did some things right, who brought things back to the way, at least closer to the way they should be. But then people fell right back down into the same pattern. And Yoshiao was the last one to truly attempt to bring the people back to God, to restore the Davidic monarchy to what it should be and the people to where they should be. But unfortunately, it was too little, too late. It was superficial only. It didn't penetrate into the hearts and minds of the populace. The people still wanted a leader like Yehoahaz, who we shall see in the next podcast, was someone who followed in the idolatrous, murderous, and oppressive ways of his grandfather's and great-grandfather as opposed to his father, Yoshiahu. <coughs> Thank you so much for studying this together with me. Looking forward to studying the rest of chapter 23, the rest of this book of Kings together. Have a wonderful day.